Whether the egg or the chicken came first is an age-long debate. What is certain is that chicken as a meat has impacted our lives for centuries. Chicken as a meat has been depicted in Babylonian carvings from around 600 BC. There are more chickens on earth than there are people, and we as Americans eat over 93 pounds of chicken per person per year. And this is Yoma's Cooking Cast. You're listening to Yoma's Cooking Cast, a podcast dedicated to teaching home cooks how to improve their skills in the kitchen and share a mutual appreciation for food. Welcome to Yoma's Cooking Cast. I'm James Joma. And I'm a spicy meatballer. It's not as funny as the second time around. I have to cover my mouth. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> You're right. It's not as funny, but it's still really Yeah. Nice. I mean, we're still putting it in there. Hey, guys. It's Andre and James. We're actually not stupid. Hey, James. Yeah. You know what's delicious? Chicken? Oh, chicken is so delicious. I like chicken. Yeah, me too. I eat a lot of chicken. Do you think you eat 93 pounds of chicken per person per year? I think I eat 93 pounds of chicken every month and a half. Ballpark. Yeah, I think I eat way more than 93 pounds of chicken a year, especially when it's BOGO at Publix. It feels staggeringly low. It is. We buy chicken in bulk. So we're talking 10 pounds every time we go, at least once a month. Yeah. Amongst two people. No, we might buy more than that. We eat a lot of chicken because chicken's delicious. But chicken is, is worldwide a comfort food. In any culture we'd look at, for the most part, chicken is like the staple in, in that food. So whether it's street food or if it's French cuisine, you know, they have other things too. But chicken is, you'll find chicken as like a common denominator in every cuisine around the world. So it's really not hard to imagine that there's more chickens on earth than there are people. However, the amount of versatility in chicken is pretty staggering because it's used, you know, so broadly. I think chicken is a less intimidating meat to cook. It is more difficult to screw up chicken than probably is some other meats. Yeah, I think a lot of people are a little more nervous about cooking fish or steak a certain temperature when chicken is a little quite straightforward or through and through. You, you can't serve chicken medium rare or medium well, or, you know, it has to be well done always. So I think you're right. It's it's harder to screw up chicken, but people still do. They oh, I always screw up chicken. Wait, wait. I'm not supposed to be eating chicken medium rare. No, that explains the this... constant digestional issues. I assume and this is why we we run out of toilet paper <laughs> at the grocery store. I assumed that I was having stomach problems because of hot sauce, but now this makes sense. Mm. <laughs> chicken is just it's delicious. It's extremely affordable, and it's high in protein. Right. I mean, there's can't really go wrong with something that's lean, high in protein and it's filling. Yeah, I think the chicken's like the perfect all in one concept of, of meat. You have your dark meat has higher fat. You have your breast, which is leaner. So, I mean, whoever you are, you're really fitting in anything you need as far as nutrition and with protein and fats in there. And then the things you can do with it are kind of endless. When I was in the sports nutrition world, chicken was multiple times on every lunch and dinner multiple ways so there was an endless supply almost of chicken and i think we as americans have that option as well because there's a lot of people that are really into fitness a lot of people that are not and uh, chicken is kind of like you know what everyone goes to well and i think it's really easy for chicken to be made really bad for you and make it taste so good because you just fry it <laughs> right 
if you're really trying to be on like my 600 pound life, you can just, <laughs> you can deep fry a couple pieces a few times a day and just keep handing that out. And maybe your dreams will come true. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I have a, I have a guilty pleasure and then I have something that I never really cared for in the chicken world. My guilty ple- pleasure would be chicken yeah, wings. Yeah. Um, and they can't be those dinky little ones from Domino's. They got to be like the big jumbo ones. And then my, what I never re- really got into was chicken and waffles. I don't understand the, uh, the appeal to it. I mean, I get it. I understand the sweet and the, and the savory and the crunchiness and all that. But like, I, just, I would never order it anywhere I go. If I if somebody did and I tried it, I'd just go, okay, it tastes like fried chicken and tastes like a waffle. It doesn't blow my mind away. And I think a lot of people don't understand why that, that my perspective on it. I think I'm like the odd man out in that world. Yeah, I don't, I don't say this to you very often, but um, you're fucking weird for that because chicken <laughs> and waffles is delicious. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. And I've been to like brunch with people and they're like, this is the best brunch ever. And I'm just like, it's just fried chicken and some waffles, man. I don't, I don't see the big deal, but that's just me. And I think, you know, I also like pineapple on my pizza. I so also I like pineapple on my pizza. So I can't, we have to save that for the pizza episode. Cause I feel like there's gonna, we're, we're going to set a storm on that one, but <laughs> I mean, chicken and waffles is delicious, man. Shannon and I went to this event in Disney, I don't know, five or six years ago. It was called taste for the senses. And basically it is a, a gluttonous person's dream. You just like walk up and it's like the, the food and wine festival on steroids. One of the guest chefs was Oprah's chef. And that was his signature dish was chicken and waffles. And Shannon and I went back to this table probably like five times. That event I actually ate so much. I considered going to the restroom to throw up so I could go back and continue eating. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. I have to say. I can't be the only person that manages to overcook chicken often. And there's one tool that you recommended to me that helped this problem exponentially. Do you remember what that is, James? Yeah, it's the thermometer. The thermometer. Could you explain this? The amazing. Explain this insane contraption that isn't intended to go (laughs) into your mouth or other cavities. Yeah, it's not it's not a oral or rectal. So people, I think, more so overcook chicken because they're afraid to undercook it. But when, and when you do, it it really ruins that piece of meat and especially the leaner parts of it, it's like the breast. So chicken fully cooked is 165 degrees, and that goes with any poultry across the board, with the exception of duck. You can do that like medium, but chicken always is 165 degrees, and in the industry we say 165 degrees for 15 seconds. And the best way to do that is obviously with a thermometer. Now the one I use is a lava tool thermometer. It's a digital one, and we'll post a link up in the description. But it is, it's fairly affordable, it's quick, it's small, it has a magnet, it sticks to the refrigerator, it goes in your pocket, you know, you clean it, it's, it's like all in one, there's not a lot of pieces to it, and um, it's really accurate. And I think that's what's important is, you know, a lot of people, especially the old school chefs and old school cooks, they have these like spring-loaded ones that have to be calibrated every time. I mean, they should be calibrated almost daily. But the digital ones, not as much, if at all, because they uh, calibrate themselves, it just depends on the one you get. But yeah, overcooking chicken is a big issue. So 165 degrees and then let it rest and you'll be good to go 
but once you start getting to 175, 180, you're gonna start drying out that piece of chicken. And then it's just no fun for anybody. You're gonna be chewing it way more than you have to. It's gonna be dry, it's gonna be tasteless. So that's a real common issue. So I owned one of those old school thermometers that Mr. Yoma is speaking of. Like it looks like it's probably powered by mercury. And <laughs> it's it's a very common kitchen thermometer. I don't find it to be as accurate or nearly as accurate or as quick as using a digital thermometer. Another big thing that we went over recently that has helped improve my uh, cooking game, I would cook the chicken breast a little bit, or I'm sorry, cook it on direct heat and then move it to indirect heat to allow it to finish. And that allows the chicken to stay, what is the word that you like to use? Moist. There it is, the moistness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think with, especially with grilling and, and barbecuing, using the hot spot on your grill to get marks on it and then moving it to the not so hot spot so that it continues to cook without burning the shit out of the outside of it is really smart. <laughs> There's a lot of, especially like when I started cooking, you know, as a teenager, I was like, Oh, I'll grill these chicken breasts. And I just burned them to a crisp. They'll be done, but they're just burnt to a crisp. But yeah, you're right. I think getting any, and that also works. Like if you're doing it in at home, like on a pan, you want to sear it in a pan and then put that pan in the oven. You're not, directly on the heat of the pan anymore now you have you have oven heat so it's, it's surrounding and it kind of like roasts so what temp would you recommend let's say if you're doing chicken breast to have the oven set 350 375 400 so i say 375 i mean if you have the skin on and you have and you, you get a good sear in a pan you have to have a hot pan get the sear let it sear for a good three to four maybe five minutes then take that without flipping it take the whole pan put it in a 375 degree oven especially at home they're they're conventional ovens they don't have fans in them so that you know, 375 is important and then let that cook so that sear that skin that side down that's been there and it's still there it's going to continue to get more color and then the, the bottom of the breast which is on the upside at this point would cook through the heat of the oven and you know depending on the size maybe it might, might take 12 minutes 18 minutes depends on the size of the bird you have or the breast so with those of you at home own a cast iron pan if you have made the lifetime commitment that is caring for a cast iron pan this is a great opportunity to use that lovely little tool i i recently acquired a cast iron pan at the advision of james here is that the right word advision advising james james recommended it yeah let's just let's (laughs) let's 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 dumb it down james recommended a cast iron pan i purchased it And amongst all of the oiling and seasoning that I have been doing in my spare time, that is now 100% committed to oiling and seasoning this pan, food comes out really good in it. So, Yeah. And I think a lot of people have to take into consideration with chicken and with most meats, especially like fish, you got to pat it dry if you want to get a good sear on Mm -hmm. it. If you have water or moisture in there, it's going to cook out the moisture before you get any color and it's already going to be cooking the meat. So you're going to ruin that aesthetic crispiness of it. So what do you do if you marinated? So like I, I often will marinate chicken and mojo. Is that something I should pat down and then season? No, I mean, you're not going to get the best. You're not going to get a sear like you would if you just brined it and seasoned it with salt and pepper. I mean, you're kind of getting, you're getting a different kind of uh, outcome and that's what you want. But mojo is fine. It's, it's oil based. It's it's when you have like the you know the natural juice of the chicken or if there's water on it. Let's say you rinse the bird off, uh, you got to pat it dry. Especially if you want like your marinade to stick to it better, or if you want your seasonings to stick to it better. Recently, I have also 
started to turn down my grill because much like James and his teens, I would just crank my grill to knuckle searing temperatures just where like the top of the grill looks like it's going to crack. That's how I knew it was the right temperature for me to throw food on top of it. Yeah, it's when the thermometer of the grill goes past its <laughs> maximum. That, that's when that's, you that's how it. I know. I look, I'm like, oh, that's pretty hot. And then when you throw food on and I have to go, like, that's how I know it's the right temp. And then I wait a few minutes and flip it. And then I would just flip it over and over and over again, trying not to burn each side that would somehow and still turn get burnt. So now I've since learned the ways of the, the Jedi and I just sear it. And then I turn down the grill to not 6,000 Kelvin. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you want some quick color on there. That's okay. But you got to, after that, you got to get it off the heat. But yeah. So if you're doing what I'm was doing with chicken, if you're, if your chicken breast looks like George Hamilton within 60 seconds of being on the grill, you might have it too hot. And then if you did get that nice little char to it, because it's the only word I can use to describe George Hamilton skin, if you've got that char, move it to indirect heat. And just kick it to the side and just wait. It's like, it's like a raisin. <laughs> it's like a raisin. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's all. Like the singing and dancing raisinets. <laughs> So there's there's another thing we can do to help chicken from being dry and, and stay moist. Um, but so brining chicken is something that we do here at home almost every time we buy chicken. And uh, brining is the the process of adding salt through the chicken muscle through osmosis. And by that I mean you submerge it in like a salt and sugar solution and let it sit overnight. Or, you know, a few hours, depending on the breast, it's about an hour for every pound of meat that you have. And the, what's going to happen is the sodium and a little bit of the sweetness goes through the muscle cells and expands the muscle cells and it traps moisture inside that chicken breast. Now, it, it might sound a little contradicting saying you want to make sure it's dry, which you do on the outside. But once that osmosis takes into place and you've brined it, it's going to be stuck into the muscle. And when you cook it to 165 degrees, you're not going to have a dried out piece. And I, chances are you get it to 175 degrees, it's still not going to be dried out. It's also going to taste a lot better and your texture is going to be a little firmer. It's, it's going to just chew better. I think brining is uh, really underrated and should be looked at as a frequent used technique. Brining is a great thing to talk about. I know you and I personally went over this recently. When making a brine, salt, sugar, water. Yeah. A, a basic brine is equal parts. I do equal parts. It depends. You know, everyone's does it a little bit different. It really depends on what you want. And that's the basics of it. So I usually make about a gallon of this stuff. And I use about a cup of salt and a cup of sugar. Uh, dissolve it into half a gallon of, of water that's hot. And then cool it down with another half a gallon of ice. Um, that way you can drop the temperature. But before you even cool it down, you can add other things to it, depending on what you want, what time of the year it is. You can add peppercorns to it. You can add herbs. You can add citrus. You can add bay leaves. You can add all sorts of things to enhance this brine um, that eventually would just flavor that chicken. Uh, especially now in the fall, you know, we, I do a lot with uh, citrus and in Florida, citrus, rosemary, a little bit of cinnamon, and some other aromatics in there that really help bring out some flavors that you want into that brine. You know, it's almost the holidays. I'm going to throw in some cloves. Yeah, cloves, cinnamon. I mean, you can put allspice, like Would whole you do allspice a cinnamon in stick there. Or... 
Yeah, you just throw a cinnamon stick in there. I don't, the only reason I would use cinnamon, ground Got cinnamon, it. is for baking. See, I would throw in a cinnamon stick, yeah. some uh, cloves, put on my Ugg boots, mm-hmm. order a PSL, <laughs> and just wait. 24 hours in front of my fridge until my bread chicken is done. You could, so if you're doing just breasts, it could, you know, it's only okay. going to be a few hours. Um, but, but if you're doing like a big turkey or something, you know, go ahead and do, you know, overnight, maybe 24 hours, depending on the size. If someone wants to be real strategic about it and have calculation, it would be about an hour for every pound of meat you have. So if you have a 24 pound bird, you're going to probably want to brine that for 24 hours. I've brined chicken breasts for 18 hours. Uh, and I think it's great. You can always overbrine something. It's going to turn it into like a deli meat. So, you know, make sure we don't, or don't sit it and brine for days and days and days and days. You're not I making bacon. You know, maybe they are making bacon. Chicken hey, bacon. I, I, I can get down with chicken bacon. I'm making bacon right now with, with actual pork Jesus, bellies in man. the fridge. You're... Yeah. Day, day 12 <laughs> on Cure. Could I make like brine in bulk and freeze it? Would that be stupid to freeze brine? Will it freeze? Uh, you know, I think it will. I just, I've never, um, I've never made it a bulk to freeze for later. Give it a shot. And yeah. See I mean, what or happens. could I brine and then freeze the chicken in said brine? No, I think you would, I think it would ruin the integrity of your chicken. All right, everybody. Hey, don't brine your chicken and then freeze your brined chicken. Don't, don't freeze, freeze it, it in your brine. brine. I feel like that's a, it sounds like it'd be a country song. We need to talk about something that's really important. I have started buying whole chickens. It's a good way to do it. Cheaper yep. chickens. Whole chicken way. was very intimidating for me. And I imagine those of you listening at home, if you are not familiar with, we'll stick with butchering. We'll, we'll use proper terms. For those of you at home who may not be comfortable <laughs> with butchering a whole chicken, it's a little intimidating. Is there anything you can recommend for someone who's just starting? They're getting their first whole chicken that's not a rotisserie chicken with the intention of breaking it down yeah i think so we live in a world of you know all the information is at our fingertips on the internet if you're looking up some videos on how to take apart a chicken it would be beneficial it's actually a really good skill to learn because you're utilizing more of it if you're buying a whole chicken you're getting it less per pound but you can make so much more out of it than if you just bought chicken breast you can make stock you can make demi eventually with it. You can make chicken wings. You can do all sorts of stuff. But somebody who's starting off, they're going to want, I think, you know, you and I talked a little bit about spatchcocking yep. uh, chicken. And that's a really, really good way of getting familiar with the bird in the beginning of things. So, because all you have to do is cut it down the, the, the two sides of the spine and take it out and then lay it flat. You know, a lot of people are a little bit uncomfortable, you know, with it because it's meat and it's got bones, but that is life. And, you know, that bird lived the life that we should all be able to respect it and use all of it that we can. So you know, buying a whole chicken is great. You're going to get more of it, especially if you have a larger family and you want to make, you know, stretch your, your chicken budget, if you will. That wouldn't be a bad idea. I'm glad you brought up spatchcocking. So that to me is the easiest way of cooking a chicken, just my preference, because it cooks more evenly, correct? Yeah. I personally was intimidating with cooking a whole chicken the first time, right? You've got these like dangly arms and legs that look like little dangly arms and legs and trying to get comfortable with that idea. And spatchcocking, although the butchering of the spatchcock style took a little bit of some, like I had to balls up a little bit to do it because you kind of cut along the spine on the side. I have knives at home that are 
sharp, but apparently not that sharp. And what helps the best is having a nice sharp pair of kitchen shears. So I took scissors and literally cut right down the side of the spine, which sounds exactly like you would imagine cutting down the side of a spine would sound like. So that was a little uncomfortable for me first time I did it. Now I go in with like no remorse, like I'm disturbed, but it's really actually easy. I have not yet turned the spine into any type of chicken stock or broth, but I do intend to because it's, it goes to waste and I hate that. Um, and I also think it would probably be really good for, you know, providing flavors for something like a soup or, you know, arroz con pollo or something, something, a very traditional dish that they do use a whole bit of chicken for or soup, right? I mean, it would be really good for soup, I would think. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of collagen also in the bones that, that give some viscosity to your soups with that. But yeah, that's the way to make great stock is through the bones and the, and the trimmings of it and keeping those spines. Like if you... Yeah, if you butcher a chicken every week, keep the spine in a bag, freeze it, and then when you have enough of them to make stock, just go ahead and make stock, and then you're good to go from there. Make sure if you are saving the spines of the chicken to put in your freezer that you are appropriately labeling them as chicken in the event that you ever have detectives in your home (laughs) before somebody opens your freezer and is just fully disturbed. (laughs) No, but really, spatchcocking is honestly a really simple way to butcher the chicken it cooks well. For me, the most uncomfortable part actually is breaking the breastbone now, just because I don't like the sound, mm-hmm. right? I cut through the bones and, like, you know, you kind of lay the chicken down, you put some pressure on the chest and you hear the like, <laughs> you know, and, uh. but then once it's cooked <laughs> and I eat, I don't feel so bad about it anymore because it's really tasty. Yeah. I mean, it's, that thing's long dead, yeah. so it's not gonna, it's not it's, feeling it. It is what it is. I agree with you about the using the whole animal for what it is i think there's a certain level of respect that goes along with most cultures on why chicken is prepared the way it is i mean in most cultures they don't waste food right that's the that's the wonderful part about buying a whole chicken is you're not really wasting any piece of the animal right you know the, in the u.s we you know we waste like over 30 percent of our food and that's not just chicken but that's like all, all across it's, the it's massive as a kid when you eat something like using arroz con pollo as an example, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's literally rice and chicken is what it means. Very traditional Cuban dish. It's just made with yellow rice and chicken, and they're kind of all cooked together in one big pot. How my grandmother made it was you would pull out the chicken bones essentially intact, and you'd kind of pull the chicken off the bone and put it back in the pot, mix it all in. But you would end up with what they would call fiejitos, which are like little bits of fat, but they'd be, you know, cartilage, basically. <laughs> is there a better way to describe it it's cartilage yeah, and you kind of get used to the texture of that as gross as that is at first your gag reflex improves over time and then you don't notice it so much but it's but it's how they cook the dish and, and i imagine probably for my grandmother that's the way her mom made it and she probably learned because that was the way her mom made it and so on and so forth nothing goes to waste and i think that's just a more intimate way with food right i mean it's it, it feels more connected to what it is that you're making which is great uh and also it tastes so much better i'm sorry man stuff with bones just tastes better <laughs> it does it's weird but it tastes better yeah i agree it's funny because um in the the japanese culture they there's a little cartilage in the in the chicken breast that looks like like a like a 3D V or a 3D I know exactly like triangle almost. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen it. And it's at the bottom part of the, the chicken breast. And um, it usually has to come out when you're splitting it 
but and we throw it away but in the japanese culture they deep fry that and they eat it and i had the the chance to have, try some up in chicago at this little sushi place we were at um and it was it was interesting it was kind of crunchy but it was really delicious actually when they do different styles they do yakitori style they do izakaya style the different cultures again they they don't waste like we were talking about a lot of these birds and stuff it's all it's a, one thing on respect it's also you know utilizing as all the money that you're spending on it in the time so i think that's important to to realize is other people do that too and they eat the parts that we don't know yeah i think if you home are someone like james and i and you suffer from what uh we refer to as uh debilitating brokenness <laughs> also yeah the anxiety of or, being or also uh other people call it poor <laughs> no if you if you are somebody that you're maybe a little more frugal or not even that right you just you want to make sure that you're cost conscious of stuff whole chicken's a really good option to go James, would you recommend, do you think breaking down a chicken is a better option? Do you think cooking whole? Is it more of like, I guess, how many people you're feeding for the preference? Like what? Well, I think, yeah. I think if you're going to, if you're going to buy the chicken, take the time to learn how to break it down. And that way you can utilize it at different recipes. If you're going to cook a whole chicken, you're going to get a whole chicken that's cooked all each time. But if you break it down, you can use the breast for certain things. If you want to use the thighs, you can make, you know, your arroz con pollo. You could do barbecue chicken with part of it. You could do uh, chicken, uh, French style chicken cocavin. So it's your vers- your versatility on chicken expands once you break that chicken down. I, I recommend people learn that. That's a real uh, essential skill. And uh, people. So I do have to brag about this one thing that we did last week so i've been buying whole chickens in they're bagged as two so every single time you get them it's two whole chickens so i I decided i was going to try and break it down because as we're going through this podcast i'm trying to be a little more adventurous in what it is that i'm doing especially because the idea is we want to talk about it and whatever i screw up it, it provides probably better commentary for james telling me what i did wrong but I'm breaking down this chicken. Hardest part for me was still getting the wings out. Everything else seemed to break down pretty good. Getting the wings out was kind of a pain in the butt for me. But but I broke down. I bagged the thighs together with the chicken wings with the intention of cooking them together. So, you know, I've got these chicken thighs. I've got these now eight wings. And I popped them in a pan. Or first, I patted them dry, cooked them in my cast iron pan, and made sure that my house was full of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I do the same, I used thing. a little bit of vegetable oil. I put these things skin down, really got them nice and, and crispy for the skin, right? Got a little bit of color to it after seasoning it. And I popped it in the oven, made sure they cooked the temp, took it out. And that was by far the best chicken I think I've ever freaking made. You know, even my wife was a little skeptical at first about me doing this. And she doesn't like when I cook with a cast iron pan because, you know, she's always like, oh, my eyes are burning. Why is it so smoky? How do we shut off the smoke detectors? You know. <laughs> Normal cooking stuff. No, I, I, I truly empathize. I feel bad because I always try to experiment with this pan. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. And then she's in the other room, like with a towel fanning the smoke detector. So it doesn't go off to prevent it from scaring the dogs. And it's being a lot of work for her too. Point being, she was a little skeptical about this whole thing. And I think she enjoyed it too. Lucas ate like two chicken thighs on his own. I mean, just went to town. So that was awesome. It ended up being a fantastic meal that, I would not have experienced if I didn't take the time to break down the chicken. I mean, it's it's a great thing you did that because you got to see a, a new approach to how to cook it, especially that cast iron. So yeah. I think all that. And then worth you it know, the I, afterwards, I spent the next two and a half hours of the night seizing the pan again. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a lifetime commitment. You get a cast iron pan, know that you can hand it down for generations and three generations down the road, they're going to smoke up their house in the exact same way. And it's all going to be your fault for buying it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gift that keeps yeah. on giving. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we're recommending maybe somebody, you know, go on YouTube and they break down a chicken. I think eventually we'll probably do some video portion of this. I think on some basic stuff and that might be a really good one that we can demo demo is breaking down a whole chicken. So, so any other tricks you think that somebody needs to know before they decide to go fist deep into a whole chicken? Yeah. Well, obviously brining, it would still be a, a you know, a, something to consider doing it in there. And then, um, you know, a whole bird's going to take a lot longer, but I think if you're not going to break down the bird and you're going to keep it whole, you're going to have the wings that are like out, the legs that are out, tucking those wings back like a full <laughs> Nelson style. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's true. That's kind of how it is. <laughs> but yeah, so, so like kind of bringing in the limbs a little bit. If um, there's a little trick to like tuck the, the legs into its own like leg leg skin and that's where they're they're together and they cook without drying out so you want the bird to be as much of a ball as possible you can either learn to trust it with some twine or you can kind of tuck it together so that it cooks into its own itself and it doesn't dry out and it doesn't burn the tips of the wings or the or the, the, the nubs of the legs the nubs. Um, <laughs> the nubs that's actually a technical term if you google chicken nubs <laughs> don't google chicken nubs. don't google chicken i don't nubs. think anything good will come up if i'm going to the grocery store and i'm buying chicken are there any particular features or you know is there something i should look for when buying a chicken because i think like when buying a steak right sometimes you look for marbling or you look for a certain shape or color right anything like that with chicken um you you want to make sure that there's a pinkish hue on on the chicken you're buying, you looking at the, the use by date, um, that it's from a from a provider or purveyor that's that you know or that is certified. Um, most grocery stores here in the states are are great about that, but there's there's not much of a grading system as like okay. there is with steak for chicken. But if you're looking at chicken breast and there's like you know blood in it or veins in it, you don't want that. You get something that's like consistent in color, it's pinkish hue. If there's skin on it that covers the whole breast, it's not it hasn't been messed with. You look at the use by date, make sure you're within that time frame. Um, and then if you bring it home and it doesn't smell right, don't cook it. Get rid of it. Go send it back to the store if you can. And I think that's important because a lot of people, especially when I was living in Chicago, you can get chicken anywhere. You can get them at a bodega and you don't know where that's been, how it's been handled. So understanding where you're, that chicken's coming from and looking for freshness that's not like slimy, that's not gray in color or bruised, but it's, it's, it looks plump, it's fresh, it's, it smells like nothing. It shouldn't smell like anything. And I think so I should not be buying chicken from some dude's trunk? No, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> But stereo equipment's still okay, right? <laughs> stereo equipment, if you're still into that sort of stuff, absolutely. Okay. But chicken, no. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. You can get, like, tacos from somebody's truck, but no, don't get chicken. <laughs> don't get rushed. Dully noted. <laughs> Someone walks up, hey, man. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the El Camino up the street. Don't get oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, free-range chicken. Does it really impact the taste and flavor profile that much? You know, does it make a big difference to buy like the fancy chicken or should I just buy the like Walmart super pack of chicken breasts that cost me 
$11 and is 27 pounds? Uh, so it really depends on what your budget entails, right? So I think you can't go wrong with buying what fits in your budget. If you're comfortable with buying something that you know has been massively produced and crammed into a cage, that's fine. Buy it, eat it, make sure you're eating all of it. If you're buying the whole chicken, use the whole thing. So you're utilizing everything. But if you have, you know, the, the funds and the, and the budget to get yourself some organic chicken or free range chicken, go, go ahead and do it. It doesn't make an enormous difference on flavor. I will say it may, maybe will give you some texture difference because of, of the birds. But to be fair, the word free range chicken does not mean that they're out on some pasture, you know, <laughs> swinging on swings and, you know, playing, playing dodgeball outside. It's not anything like that. The free range chicken is, um, is actually, and I don't know the exact space, but it's required. They're, they're still in cages that are they're just two by two. bigger. I, I don't know. I'm <laughs> actually can, an answer. Yeah, they can like. <laughs> Well, they, yeah, so, but their 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 cages are little little plots that they can like run around in for a certain amount of time, um, and sometimes it's just a bigger cage, um, and that's that's what they consider free range. And it's almost like, not to knock on organic, but like most things that are organic are not a hundred percent organic. It's all regulations and meeting certain requirements to get those labels. So again, if you want to spend that extra money on that free range, by all means, you know, if you're menuing something and you want to you know, while your friends and say, Hey, this is a, a free range Amish chicken. And that's great. You also paid for that, that label <laughs> in, in a way. I, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with buying it. I do have to chime know. in. I was actually almost right. HFAC certified humane free range requirements is two square feet per bird. See, that's so that's crazy. That's nothing. It's that's, not a, really free range. that's a, it's a nightstand. <laughs> that's not, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I will say this: when I was living in in Chicago, a the f a food service director that I worked with, her son in law had a farm, and he had like true free range chickens, like they were out there, and he had to wrangle them in, and and he he butchered them himself, and she he gave one to her, and she gave it to me, and I ate it, and it that was it was so good, but it was a certain breed of chicken. It wasn't like the chicken we get at the store. It was like some. I have to I have to go back and ask. I think it was like some red red hen chicken or something or something specific, but it was great. It was it was really really good. So listeners, what we've established is make friends with somebody who owns a farm. Absolutely, <laughs> go help go help them on the farm. They'll give you produce. They'll give you something. To Every time on. my brother did that for a little yeah. bit when he moved to Texas, he would help milk cows, do all that stuff. And part of it, he you know, would collect eggs, which he said was a really funny process because the chickens are. They don't veer too far outside of the little hen house, but they'd walk in and they'd like lay eggs and you could see through a little window and then they'd literally walk in and they'd like pop out an egg and then they would just walk out their little, little hen house. <laughs> uh, and, and I remember my brother telling me this story about there was a point in time that their chickens had appropriately matured. So it was time for them to be slaughtered and sold. And my brother said that he must have killed and plucked like a hundred chickens and my brother's like i got home and i'm like scrubbing my arms still because I, he's like i like couldn't get it out of my head he's like i'm never eating chicken ever again you know and i said well how long did that last he's like yeah. oh like three days and then <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he cooked chicken breast and everything was fine with the world again because he remembered it was delicious i had a friend up in in chicago who uh he built him and his wife built a little chicken coop but it was for it was for uh, what's it called? Quails. It was for quails, 
So he had a little quail coop. And he, all they wanted was to get quail eggs. And they got tons of them. They gave me a bunch of them. They were great. And the, But there was one one quail that was an asshole. It was like going in there and pecking at the other ones. And like damaging. Like one of them poked the other one's eye out. It was crazy. So she, he had to like separate them. And that didn't work. And they, you know. He, got, he had them for a couple months, and he got a lot of eggs out of them, but then he collected them all and then sent them uh, away to get processed. And that's how, that's what he left it at. Oh, we'd send them to get processed. I'm like, so do you get them back to, like, eat? He's like, maybe. We'll see. And I don't know if he ever That's did really a disappointing but, story because um, I feel like I would take that one particular quail out of principle, and that would be our dinner. <laughs> I think that's what they wanted yeah. to do. I don't know if there was, like, a minimum for how many you had to bring to for them to, to butcher them, but... Yeah, that I mean, you we got one yeah, bad quail. I feel like that'd be like, this is in. the Kevin Fried chicken sandwich, <laughs> and you just or Kevin Fried quail <laughs> sandwich, you know, fillet fillet a little bitch up. Yeah, there's a little bit of an asshole in there, and just plucking up other. My, my brother said that there was always a cow at the farm that was an asshole. I believe the cow's name was Butter, but he said Butter would try and kick you whenever you would milk <laughs> Butter. Every single time, <laughs> Butter, Butter the, the cow. cow. Every single time he would go to milk the cow, the cow would try and kick him. And he said one time he, he got him. Um, so, yeah, they're, oh. it's, you know, just like people, animals can sometimes be an asshole. <laughs> I know we, right, we've got chicken dishes in pretty much every culture, shy of, I assume, Eskimos, but it's in most cultures, right? So, yeah, it's almost in, almost in all cultures. I mean, you look at every, Go to any restaurant of any cuisine, and it's got chicken on it. You know, it's like the the most common used item in the world. I think. So, if I want to elevate my chicken game tonight with something, even let's just say I'm cooking chicken breast, what should I put on it besides just doing salt, pepper, garlic? So, I think the way you cook it has a lot to do with it. So, getting a good sear and not drying it out is super important. I think that's like eighty percent of your enjoyment of the flavor is going to come from that. But, you know, lemon garlic chicken is really great. Rosemary and lemon is great. You can do sage and, and lemon. You don't always have to just be lemon, but you can do different herbs. You can do garlic with herbs. You can do, you can do a curry chicken. You can braise the chicken. You can, you can simmer the chicken to where it starts to fall apart oh, and make idea. barbecue chicken. You know, like we have, we'll take like three big breasts and we'll, you know, we'll boil them for about an hour and a half and then they'll shred apart. And then we'll toss them in barbecue sauce after we drain them, you know, make pulled chicken out of that barbecue pulled chicken. You can smoke them if you got a smoker, you know, there's a, it's, it's kind of like a, it can go any, in any direction. There's nothing wrong with frying them. Uh, even if you want to do like an oven baked uh, or an oven fried, which is what we call it. It's like a, you, you bread it yep. and then you bake it with like the breading. Uh, that way you're not getting all the fat from frying it, but you get the texture. We did this uh, a couple of months ago. We did, <laughs> flaming hot cheeto breaded chicken and uh it was <laughs> fantastic that does sound pretty so pretty ridiculously good. good if you are at home and you intend to prepare your chicken by baking chicken or doing a an oven fried chicken breast do yourself a favor elevate your cooking game by toasting your panko before you toss your chicken in it oil spray like the pan on it spritz it Pop in the oven for a little bit till it browns, and then do it. Man, game changer. Makes it actually like a little crispy. Mm-hmm. Mm, so good. Crispy. But yeah, that's, honestly, I'm I'm excited to try braising chicken. I don't know why I never really thought of that. 
although it makes sense because it mm-hmm. it's in soup and <laughs> all these other dishes that are cooked low and slow and it shreds apart well is that something so if you're braising would you recommend a, using the dark meat or is it still a whole chicken piece or um you could use either one i do recommend the dark meat is when you're when you're braising it because you're going to need a lot of sauce for the white meat for it to be for you to be able to chew it uh, but if you're doing like there's nothing wrong with doing healthy versions and doing the same application to the okay. breast and those of you who do not buy chicken thighs start buying chicken thighs they're so much better they have a higher fat content but the the flavor difference between a chicken breast versus chicken thigh is night and day in my opinion for the extra 30 40 calories you'll pick up from the dark meat of the chicken it's worth it just just my personal opinion if you don't like it send us an email you can tell me that my opinion on it sucks i'm okay with that because i will stand by <laughs> that the thigh is better than the breast just saying i think we for the most part covered everything yeah i think we i think one thing we do have to mention because this came up recently uh at a town hall in nebraska okay very recently a man made a very passionate speech to changing the name from boneless wings to something else because boneless wings are not technically wings they are made from chicken breasts how do you feel about this should boneless wings be renamed I think uh, that's going to be a real political uh, answer question deal. So, yes, boneless wings are technically not wings. However, the, the marketing and the money that goes into marketing boneless wings is uh, you ain't going to call them chicken, you know, anything else outside of that and get the same, same marketing uh, feedback. You're not going to have uh, the NFL uh, – Super Bowl Sunday, and it's going to be. The I still like bombs. that one. You know, I think that one's a very solid one. How about <laughs> kick and knockers? Kick and knockers. Go, I yeah, still think is one. Of it's. So I think that that would be perfect for like a bar that has you know one or two locations, and you know <laughs> come get our kick and knockers, knock knockers, <laughs> kick and knockers, but like. You're not going to go to the grocery store with your kid and be like, hey, you want some tasty, tasty tacos tonight? That's what dinner? you think. <laughs> you don't know me that well. <laughs> your, your kid's going to yeah. get a bombs? price check on, on, uh, bombs. on That'd be great. knockers. Booby bombs. Yeah. Uh, we need a price check on booby bombs. What if they call them buffalo-style chicken nuggets? I, I would have a problem with that because I think when you look at boneless wings, they're, they're bigger well, nuggets than are nuggets. nuggets are made up of whatever. It's it's like minced right. chicken form. Yeah, what's his name? Jamie Oliver has this fantastic video on making chicken nuggets, and he, I love this video. I'll watch it like at least twice a year. He'll he goes um, he makes chicken nuggets. He shows these American kids how to make chicken nuggets, and he you know he they throw everything into the blender, and then they strain it all, and it's everything from like. The wings to the legs to like whatever cartilage whatever they can get they mix it into a blender and then he adds like spice and seasonings and other things to make it the texture they, they strain it um and then he f- forms them breads them and they're throughout the whole process all these kids are completely grossed out it's growing just the way he wants it to go he goes on in his mind he's educating these children how disgusting chicken nuggets are and he breads them fries them and says who wants to try them and all of them raised their hand and said, we do i would have done the same thing <laughs> and that's yeah absolutely and like 
he did the same thing back in England, uh, I think prior to do that. And all the kids were like, no. And, you know, they were, it worked like a charm. They were like completely grossed out. And then he was showing them like how to, what a real, real food should look like. He did to the, and, and without disappointment, the American children were like, I don't give a damn. This is America. (laughs) I'm going to fly my flag (laughs) and I'm going to eat my, my Franken chicken nuggets and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. And I'm going to blast freedom isn't free. While I do it, oh, but if you guys get a chance to look up that video, I, I highly recommend. Oh, it. Maybe we'll link on the, on the description. So I I agree with you. I think I think the marketing involved with changing the name of Boneless Wings to something would be very difficult. Although I do agree with the idea of transparency in food. I think that if there was yeah, a I agree too. a way to change it, maybe if it was boneless style or something that that involves let people know they're eating the chicken breast. I think it makes people a more conscious consumer, especially when you're paying <laughs> when you're paying like I don't know ten bucks or whatever it is for you know six ounces of chicken breast that's cut up in little pieces and breaded and fried. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a big controversy on on that transparency piece. People want to know where their food comes from, and I think chicken and and meat and pork have, have go through such a process to get produced into what we see at the grocery store. They want to know where it comes from. Um, and there is some issue of it ship getting shipped away to get processed and then shipped back. People didn't like that. Um, and then, but they wanted to know on the label, like where it's being processed. And, and I don't think it ever passed. Um, and I don't know why, but there's a, there's a big demand for transparency. They want to know where these, these animals are getting processed or where they're from. But Again, yeah. like you mentioned, make friends with a farmer. That's it. I'm about it. Yeah. So. That's funny. Well, guys, if there's anything <laughs> you want to hear about, uh, if you if you have a favorite way of cooking chicken, if you've already chopped up a chicken, butchered it, and you're comfortable with it, uncomfortable with it, want to know more about it, you want us to talk more about it in detail, you want to know James's favorite chicken recipe, if you want to know if he's finally going to eat an ostrich, just like the egg, send us an email at yomascookingcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to hear on the podcast. We'll talk about it. We love your feedback. Let us know what sucks. Let us know what's good. And, uh, and thanks for listening. What is the word that you like to use? Moist. There it is, the moistness. <laughs> <laughs> say it like that moist